Welcome back, everyone, to After the Sermon Ends. We know that after the sermon ends, the conversations begin. Today, I am joined by Pastor Marcus Donaldson and our good friend Dawson Murray. Welcome back, Dawson. Howdy. Today, we are talking all things Easter. Uh, This past Sunday was our Easter Sunday. We celebrated the resurrection. The kids had an egg hunt, and we just had a lot of fun. Uh, Saw a lot of new faces there. Um, Jared was actually preaching our message on Sunday, but he is not able to join us today to give us a sermon recap. Um, it was 58 minutes long, his, his sermon, so we're, he's going to enjoy us pointing out that, that amount of time. But, um, but yeah, I'll just run through, I'm, I'll give the, a quick sermon recap and then we can kind of, well, actually, no, Marcus, how about you give us a, a quick recap of your, your sunrise service? We met at 7 a.m. in the parking lot and you gave a really good message there for us. So why don't you give us a recap of that? Yeah, that's not culturally, um, I guess, what has been done historically at City Church. Um, so Matthew Miner, who has joined us recently, uh, just been thinking through and praying through the idea and then executed it really well. But we went into uh, John 20, and I like the resurrection encounter that morning in John's story, not because it's better, but just... You know, there are some funny details that I see in there, like uh, the foot race that him and Peter have. And, of course, he wins. And yeah. I would win, too, if I was writing. But I, I'm not <laughs> suggesting that, that he was uh, lying or anything else. But I just think it's uh, interesting to add. But that that sunrise service, uh, like Matthew shared right at the top, has been not not necessarily done in the first century, but it was adopted later, at least from what we can see in history and and there it was really just simple to the point um and reflecting on our resurrected king Mm -hmm. and and that's what we aim to do you know we we read some scripture like i mentioned and then we reflected on that scripture reflected on the fact that jesus isn't just a man he said that he had to die um, on the cross and, and resurrected yeah. three days later. And mm-hmm. if he is, if he not only just said it beforehand, then did it, he's probably somebody that, that we should listen to and say, take seriously. He's probably more than just a man. Um, and of course we know from elsewhere in the Gospels that he is the Son of God. Mm-hmm. So that's what we reflected on. That's good. Were you had any thoughts on the uh, sunrise service, Dawson? Any, any good moments from that morning? Well, I mean, we got to give another shout out for Matt, to Matthew because yeah. he literally fed the five thousand. Yes, uh, that morning he brought all the food, and it was he even brought turkey sausage, which I would consider like basically vegan sausage, but <laughs> it was it was still pretty good. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's great. Um, but this, this 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 sermon was good too, great. and Matthew's historical breakdown of why we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that that was really interesting. Started in the seventeen hundreds or fifteen uh, with the Moravians. Okay. Yeah, they, they just decided to pray all night into Easter Sunday, and that's where we get the, the sunrise service from. And walk to the cemetery, mm-hmm. which we didn't do, but... There, there's We could have walked down to see, um, what's the, uh, Long Street. We could have seen Long Street's yeah, grave yeah, yeah. <laughs> in Gainesville. Uh, well, anyway, jumping back into uh, Jared's message from Sunday, um, his, his main point, he hit it so strong was that Jesus emphatically proves that the resurrection is by God's power alone. Um, he, he spoke through uh, Matthew chapter 27, where the, um, 
the body is placed in the new tomb of, of Joseph, and he uh, talked about this this virgin tomb, um, comparing it back to the virgin birth, and um, there's a lot of significance in that, and it was just a borrowed tomb that he had, and he borrowed it, and then three days later, he rose up out of it. Um, he touched on the, the different uh, religions that have remnants of, of their uh, deities or, or high religious people, and they, they worship the, the physical remnants. They, they worship the, or the people know where the tomb of Muhammad is. And um, he talked about the, the Buddhism and these stupas that have remnants of the Buddha scattered throughout the world, and there's like pieces of um, remaining, pieces remaining from Buddha's body and at his ashes. And, but you know, instead we celebrate the risen Lord, and because we celebrate because He's not there, because we don't have a physical physical body left. Um, that's why we worship Jesus. And then, um, yeah, he, he also touched on the significance of the of the women's testimony and how that um, played into, you know, Jesus' resurrection. How um, the women were there; they were there the morning that He rose. The the angel was there telling Him, and they were the ones commissioned to go and tell the rest of the disciples and how that compares to to our testimony and commissioned to go and tell today um and just but basically that main point of the resurrection is by god's power alone and yeah so let's let's start there uh, dawson what were some of your thoughts and takeaways from from his message um one of the things that stuck out to me and i can't remember if this was said um kind of in his introduction before the actual sermon starts, he usually addresses us like in a greeting, or if it was actually during the sermon, but he ended up reading a good portion of 1 Corinthians 15, and um, one part in particular uh, that I think is important for us to focus on is verses 3 and 4, where he says, um, Paul says, For I delivered to you as as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And if you listen to the sermon, uh, Jared gives a little emphasis on according to the scriptures. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a that's an important thing to um, emphasize in our understanding of the gospel, uh, particularly in light of of some branches, I guess, of of our of modern evangelicalism that that is kind of shifting away from from um, I should say the centrality of scripture. Um, or the importance of, of, of the Old Testament in terms of establishing the resurrection. Um, the resurrection, though, of course, is central to the faith. And Paul even says it later in this chapter, is if Christ isn't raised and our faith is in vain, yet it's not isolated um, to itself. Mm. Um, it's something that's based upon thousands of years of promises um, and hintings towards a Messiah who would die, who would um, render himself as a guilt offering, as it talks about in Isaiah 53. Yet yet because of this, God will prolong his days and things along these, these lines. So he, there is a resurrection that takes place. So yeah, the, the, the resurrection is not isolated to itself. And also, if there is no if it is not in accordance to the Scriptures, the resurrection as an isolated event makes no sense. Right. Mm-hmm. It's just... Some guy rose from the dead. Well, that's cool. I mean, he yeah. talked about raising from the dead. That's pretty neat. It's like, but if you go all throughout the Gospels, it's this happened so that so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Yep. It's 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 all pointing back to um, our dependence upon the Old Testament. And then uh, one more thing I want to say say on that: even the apostles, uh, Peter specifically in Second Peter uh, one, talks about 
them being eyewitnesses of in this context he's talking about the transfiguration but it's but it's being eyewitnesses of the sonship of, of Christ and his resurrection and things like that. And then he goes on to say, but we have a more sure prophetic word, mm-hmm. which is a reference to the, the scriptures. Yep. So in essence, what Peter is doing there is putting um, the scriptures as, as our ultimate basis for truth and understanding and putting man's senses, though, though reliable, to the side and subject to it. Um, so... Anyways, that's the, those those are things that, that I took from it that I think are important to emphasize is the centrality and the authority of the scriptures uh, for the proof of the resurrection, right? And in its establishment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Marcus, do you have any thoughts on just the importance of of the resurrection within within that context of scripture? I was looking. Um, I think it's either First or Second Peter, but in Second Peter, First or Second Peter, one of his epistles, he um, he refers to scripture and and he is essentially confirming it it's in the first or second chapter maybe i think it's second peter chapter two knowing this first of all that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation for no Mm. prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from god as they were carried along by the holy spirit and it's like well when you consider the uh, Old Testament prophecies, specifically those messianic prophecies that are directly pointing to um, Jesus's death and resurrection, it's like, well, where did they find those in Scripture? So why today would we uh, would we look for anything else? Why are we looking to the clouds and these weird and abstract signs to validate what Scripture validates? Yeah, and then His resurrection confirms. Mm-hmm. And then when you were talking about these other religions, as Jared was talking about them, it brought me back to Acts 17, uh, where Paul is is addressing a huge group of Gentiles, and it's like, like you have all these images of God that you made with your hands and your your um, skills and everything else. This is how religious you guys are. You even have a, a statue of to the unknown God. It's like the God of the Bible that made heaven and earth and everything else doesn't live in temples. He doesn't need to be made by you or me or anything else or maintained for that matter. Mm -hmm. Like he has everything, makes everything, causes everything, and he sent his son not only to die so that we could be forgiven, but he will return to to judge all um, who don't believe. So. Yeah, Jared gave a really interesting um, story about this African Muslim that was converted, and um, and people were asking him why he converted to Christianity, and he's like, well, you know, it's like you're going on a path, and on one side um, uh, there's a dead man, and, one, and on one side there's a man that's alive, and both are trying to tell you where to go. And it's like, I'm choosing to, you know, listen to the one that's alive, but more than that, what you guys are pointing out here is like, more than just him being alive, it's that he predicted he would be alive, and it's spoken of all throughout the scriptures. And um, just the the there is that we see the power of God on display in, in resurrecting him. We see the angel sitting on, the, sitting in the tomb, sitting on the stone, um, and telling the the women that that Jesus is not there. And we see that physical power, but also his sovereignty is on display throughout the entire scripture, showing us that he is in control. Um, and 
and something else Jared said is like, you know, the cross was not a course correction for our sin. Mm-hmm. You know, it, th- our sin didn't surprise him to where he needed to change plans and, and just throw in the cross to fix everything. And the resurrection was not a course correction for the cross either to where, oh, Jesus died. I need to, you know, bring him back all of a sudden. But this was in place from the beginning. We see the redemption story right. starting even in Genesis with that um, with that promise that um, he will crush the serpent's head. Yep. And now we see it, the, the serpent's head being crushed in the resurrection um, and then the, with, with the final proclamation um, in Revelation later on. But... Um, <laughs> But yeah, let, let's let's move on a little bit to um, let's look at some of those apologetics questions on on the on the resurrection. Like um, you know, looking at these different religions that um, you know worship these these dead images through dead works. Um, what first of all, what evidences you know have you seen that that have can help you, helped convince you of the re- resurrection? But also, you know, why is that more convincing than the other religions? Um, well, I think that fundamentally the the greatest proof of the resurrection is the prophecies in the Old Testament and fulfilled in Christ. And I want to put that at the at the outset because I don't want to put um, things which I would consider um, secondary authorities above mm. the authority of Scripture. Um, but that being said, um, the 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 fact of the resurrection well first of all Jesus Christ is the be- the best well the most attested uh, person in human history from antiquity yep um, there there we have more information on him than we do from like if you look at like um, the Iliad and Homer and things like that like which are we 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 tend to think that th- um, the uh, the manuscripts we have of of, of those particular writings are reliable, but they're like, they haven't, are found like a hundred years after, or right. several hundred years right. after um, his death. We have, um, we are able to, to reconstruct the gospel accounts, the, the, the epistles from the thousands of manuscripts that we have, um, where most, if not all historians of that particular time period will say that we know in fact, what the gospel says, yeah. that we know, and, and of course that's the case, because God has preserved his word. Yep. Um, but, um, so there's, there's these specific things, there's also um, the fact that most theories of, of what could happen, of what uh, are, are most theories of, of, of what historians have proposed, whether it's like mass illusion of the resurrection or, or that they stole the body, none of them account for the evidence, none of them account for... Uh, the the explosion of the early church that happened. You, th- there's a great actual interview. Um, there's a podcast called Unbelievable, um, and there's it's it's a conversation between a guy named N.T. Wright, who's one of the top Christian historians on the topic, and then another historian named Tom Holland, who's an agnostic. And they asked Tom Holland the question, um, uh, uh, "What do you think? What do you think the disciples saw?" And he goes, "Well, I think they saw. I think." That they thought they saw the risen Christ. So that's the conclusion from from the unbelieving world is is the disciples had to have seen something, mm-hmm. um, and I, they did see something. Yeah. The, from that, the the writing that we have, it's dated within the same century, right? Right. Like there are other religions and and um, these things that people tend to compare with scripture. And the, the dates of those aren't 
are nowhere near as uh, close to the date that we have for the New Testament, the mm. epistles, the gospels, and everything else. Um, and then after that, we see, after that first century, we see a ton of writing, and then we see the the church go through this process of checking what's Scripture and what's not. Yeah. And there was, you know, we can talk about standard and canonization and stuff like that, mm-hmm. but then the disciples, if they saw something, right, it must have been worth living and dying for. Yeah. Now, I can understand if they were flying around on private jets and, and everything else, they lived the rich and glamorous uh, life, and people picked them up and lifted them high, and, you know, that's not the life that they lived. If if they saw anything other than Jesus, if they stole the body, if they did, you know, if they manipulated this, then you would assume that they would do so for their benefit. Yeah. However, the life that they lived subsequently was nothing or was anything but glamorous in the first century world, even uh, comparatively to the world today. And then Paul is another interesting case as well, because Paul had no reason to become a Christian. There was no Mm. motivation for it. He was like, he was climbing the Jewish ladder, and he was in the act of persecuting Christians. There There was no benefit for him. And then even after, there was no benefit for him. But what he saw there on the Damascus Road changed his life, and his, uh, the, his life subsequently reflected what he saw. We know from Scripture that it's Jesus that he saw, and we know that his subsequent life was consumed with sharing the gospel, making disciples, planting churches, training leaders. Like, that was it. Yeah. There was no more um, climbing that uh, spiritual Jewish ladder. There was mm-hmm. no, like, he left all of that for no benefit. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you pointed out, um, you know, the the change in the disciples' um, character and demeanor and, like, just from, you see the difference there. You know, after Jesus died, they're hiding and they're afraid of what's going to happen to them. Peter is denying Christ at that um, in in the garden, and then you see after his resurrection, after he reveals himself to the disciples, they're they're preaching, they're bold, they're uh, being imprisoned, they're being killed for their faith, and and they like you said, if they are willing to die for their faith, something had to have changed for them. Yep. Um, you know, and and one more piece here that that you know I want to point out is you know it even talks about in. In Matthew chapter twenty-eight, here about the 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 reports of the guards and the and the Pharisees saying, "Hey, you know, he said he was going to be raised in three days, so hey, seal the tomb." And then after Jesus' body is is not in the tomb anymore, they they go and they're trying to convince people to say that the disciples took his body. You know, so one, why would this be in the Bible if it if it wasn't something that you know they knew to be true, and it was just there were just lies being spread, and the, and the Bible is just identifying the lies and and dispelling them. And then um, one of the things that that Jared highlighted um, really well on Sunday was the the report of women, and you know the report of women back in that time was you know they wouldn't allow a woman's testimony to be admitted in any official court hearing at all. And you see, if you read through Scripture, that in, I think in Mark, um, you know people didn't believe Mary Magdalene at first, but the fact that the women were the first ones to see it just proves its legitimacy because, you know, why else would you 
say that it's women if you want it to be a credible testimony. Right. And and if we were, you know, we look at that today and we're like, oh, that's so wrong. And yeah, okay, that's not what we want to talk about. That's just the reality. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to, to build a, a credible profession, you would not include that. And, and furthermore, if if the Pharisees weren't lying and the Roman guards and all that, like if that wasn't a lie, if that actually happened, that the disciples took the body, then why did everybody else listen? Why did everyone else take them seriously if they believed this truth? Mm-hmm. So there's no evidence other than what we see <clears throat> here in Scripture that anybody took them seriously yeah. um, about, hey, the disciples took the body. They're like, hey, there was a, a stone there that nobody could just roll away, and it was sealed, and it was guarded. So, you know, the that argument, it, it really starts to fall apart when you when you poke into it and you really consider the historical testimony mm-hmm. and, and the their actions yeah. um, reflected that, hey, it was nothing but true. Yeah. And one more thing just to add to that. I know a lot of, um, I guess, modern-day apologists like to emphasize the, uh, the, in- the inclusion of embarrassing accounts on behalf of the apostles. People writing the, the story all ran away. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like if, if you want to kind of demonstrate, like, how good— like, if I was to come up with a story, you know, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't include that account of myself being a yeah. coward in the event, you yeah. know. Um, and it just it, it shows, the, I guess, the brutal honesty of— of the Gospels. Yep. Um, so anyways, that's one other extra point. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I think we could spend hours talking about apolo- apologetics here, at like, and I've got two other individuals that, that love this topic. Um, but I do want to shift um, just slightly to um, the ramifications of the resurrection. You know, if he has been raised, how does this change? Like uh, Jared uh, was talking about, you know, the, that the, the sting of death and the punishment and the wrath for sin has been taken on that cross and has been defeated in the resurrection. You know, so, you know, so how should that change the way we live? If God didn't make a way for His creation to pay for the things that separated them from Him, He would be unjust. But in... Jesus' death and resurrection, we see justice. The resurrection or the resurrection is the the evidence of him accepting Jesus' death for the forgiveness of sin. And there is this idea that people have sometimes that they're gonna go to God and uh, when they die and they're gonna tell him like, you know, XYZ and he's gonna understand. Like, no, sin is sin and he like he paid for it. Jesus paid for it on the cross. The evidence is in the resurrection. There's no excuse. He's made justice. Now you're either gonna reap what you sow. You're gonna you're gonna get what you. Um, if it's not paid for, if your sins aren't paid for, you will receive the consequences or the the payment. You will bear the brunt of that uh, for eternity. There's no purgatory. There's no um, getting out of it. Like you have one life. And your procrastination isn't gonna is not an excuse. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I was thinking of yesterday, um, I thought of an analogy of of a battering ram, specifically in terms of the breaking of the seals. A battering ram is a um, like a medieval siege weapon that was used. It basically, this think of it as like a big log that they would just ram into a door of a castle to break through. Um, and when those seals were broken. Um, the way I was thinking of it is that 
in in essence, that was the first breakthrough of the kingdom of God into into the uh, kingdoms of men that announces both the invasion as well as the victory of the kingdom of God in, mm. in the earth. And and what follows from that, literally right after that in Matthew, is what? The Great Commission. And the Great Commission is not go and make disciples, it's go therefore. And I think there's an there's a important that that is a very important thing that we need to emphasize in terms of 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 our um mission in spreading the gospel and making disciples. It all stems from his resurrection and his authority over all things. Um, that's what he says in, in uh, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, where he says, "All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations." Yeah. Which means then that our our whole process uh, or our whole miss- mission in making disciples is totally dependent upon what the authority of Christ. Um, so if the resurrection has not happened. You just have to, we have to reemphasize what Paul said in First Corinthians fifteen. Our faith is in vain. Um, uh, there is no there, and this is not actual disciple making. Right. This is false hope that we're doing. Right. Here. Um, Actually, worse than. Yeah, it's yeah. worse than. Yeah, yeah. And we yeah, we're most to be pitied because here we are trying so hard. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. To give content to the people. Yeah. Um. But um. Yeah. Um. Uh, but it's not gonna. It, it, it's it. It would be completely vain in the end. Um. Because uh, we're still in our sins, yep. and um, the devil still reigns and has authority here. So yeah, um, yeah, for sure. And there was one point where um, you know Jared is pointing out that the the women were going back to the the tomb on that third day to perform the purification rites on on his body, and um, you know give it or you know put some. Um, and anoint him with different oils and spices and different things like that. And, um, you know, and Jared said, it's like, Jesus didn't wait for their customs. He didn't wait for the cu- their customs. He just emphatically, you know, he came out of that tomb and he is, and basically in that declared that the new covenant is here to where now he cares more about reconciling his children to God and reconciling people back to him and cares more about the relationship than religion. And it's not about, um, doing anything that we can earn. I know we talk about this a lot on here, but this is, we're going to keep harping on it. And because this is the gospel that Jesus, you know, you know, did it once and for all so that we don't have to continue trying to earn our own righteousness, but it is gifted to us. Like we've been talking about with being pure in heart with these beatitudes. And if we are pure in heart now, if we have been gift, uh, imputed his purity to us, we can now live as, um, as freely as, as his children, and we can follow him the rest of our days, and um, that allows us to live righteously. Jared gave two things, that there's an invitation that we have, which is to come and see, and that is to like come and see who Jesus is. Come and see what he has done for you. Come and see um, you know, the resurrection and the, and the power that is there, and then there's also a commission, which is to go and tell um, so in that invitation and commission, like what would you guys say is, you know, like how should we respond to the resurrection? How should we like go about like what, I mean, there's, there's so many different practical things that we could touch on, but like what, what should we do with that, that commission? Obey it in, uh, just simply put, and, and what I like about it is it's not like super limiting. It's not calling you to monasticism. It's not calling you to pastoral ministry it's not like whatever you're doing share what happened his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin with others 
And, and if, if we're looking more specifically, look at the pattern of everybody who has believed in Jesus post-resurrection. It, there's a marked change in their lives. There's a quote that has been just tossing around in my head, but Jesus will not be Savior where he is not Lord. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there should be a marked change in your life because you're submitting to his lordship. You're, you're believing and trusting in his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sin, but he also taught moral and ethical teaching. He also affirmed the Old Testament, him and the um, other New Testament writers. Like, there, there's no excuse for—and and this is to me just as much as it is to anybody listening— there's, there's no excuse to continue to live however you want to live. There's no excuse that uh, grace allows us to to live in habitual sin. So, and, and obviously we're not perfect, right? But he will not be Savior where he is not Lord. Mm-hmm. Dawson, any final thoughts? Um, I was just going to say just do as he says. Yeah. So I'm going to give an amen to Marcus. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I just... I think I'm going to close here at uh, Revelation 117. Jesus is talking here in Revelation. It says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys to death and Hades. Jesus is, he, he died for our sins and we emphatically, um, you know, worshipped that truth on, on Good Friday but he is also alive, and I am alive, it says there. It's not, like I said, it's not that course correction. It's not something that surprised God, but it was the plan from the very beginning, and because of that, he holds the keys to death and Hades. He holds the the final judgment, and um, all we need to do is just is come to him, and all that he is just bidding us to come to him, trust him, repent uh, of our sins, and follow him the rest of our days and trust the one who holds the keys of death and Hades. Satan does not hold those keys. He is subject to uh, he is subject to his authority, but because he has these keys and because he has that final judgment, um, you know, we can we can trust that final judgment, but he also has love for us. An an interesting, sorry, an interesting question to ask any of your Jewish friends is how do you atone for sin? Hmm. Because there's no more sacrifice, right? There's no temple, no sacrifice. Mm-hmm. They don't practice it anymore. How do they atone for sin? Yeah. And they'll answer, like every other false religion, that their good deeds, their prayers, that mm-hmm. it's a works-based system. Yeah. Well, listener, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a lot of fun um, at Easter Sunday this year at City Church. Uh, we hope you can join us uh, this Wednesday uh, coming up for small groups at 6 p.m. to keep talking about uh, the resurrection. We'll, we'll have an Easter dinner starting at 6 p.m. Um, and then this Sunday coming up at 10 a.m. at City Church in Gainesville. Um, thank you so much again for listening. Until next time. Thank you.